Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nuke Joss, and we've got an intro to Ghibli episode for you. So we have gone back to the Ghibli treasure trove and pulled out a Goro Miyazaki film from up on Poppy Hill. With me, as always... Hi, I'm Will Techie, and I'm not in this movie. Not really, no, no. And our guides... Hey, it's Jen. And I'm Jason. And Little Techie was in this. Did you not see that kid sitting on that lap in that picture? Oh, the, you're the little brother. <laughs> the, the, the little brother who, like, during the party scenes, all you see is, like, a chopstick hand stealing all the pork. Yes. Off the off the tray. Yeah. Okay, that could be me. The one with the hole in his stomach and the holes in his socks. <laughs> oh, yes. Did you, guys, did you guys listen to the dub or the... Uh, the dub. It was the dub, but we had the translated subtitles going so you could see the differences. My favorite line of his is, at least someone cares about my hunger pains. Yeah. <laughs> He's so dramatic. So dramatic. <laughs> so yeah, little techies in this movie. All right. So tech, do you have our textile quick summary? You guys like Anna Green Gables? Did are you Canadian? Do you know of a show called Road to Avonlea? Did you want it set in 1964 Japan instead of Prince Edward Island in the 1880s? Did you also enjoy a TV show where nothing happens and you just watch lovely people go about and do lovely things? Then watch from up on Poppy Hill. Oh, and there's a love story somewhere. Kinda. Ish. But the, um, the, the, the main character, the, 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 the male protagonist, uh, Shun, right? Yeah. Shun. Yes. Shun. If that's not a Japanese analogy for Gus Pike from Road to Avonlea, I don't know what is. And the three Canadians listening to this now know what you're talking about. No, exactly. The three Canadians that are of your generation. Yeah. Who remember this crummy old TV show from the nineties? Yeah. But this is very heartwarming, very touching story. Another, another coming of age story from the, uh, from the Miyazaki family, a, another brilliantly animated story. Uh, you know, okay, so where should I start with this? It's like, I remember sitting down to watch the movie and hearing this, like, this, like, jazzy jazz music opening. It's like, hey, like, where were we in our cycle? Because I know Jason and Jen, you guys have been trying to make one happy movie, one sad movie, one happy movie, one sad movie. I'm like, oh, so I guess this is a happy one. And then we start delving into the story of, you know, parents lost at sea, adopted children, uh, you know, rural Japan in the 1960s, the hardships of life post World War II. It's like, oh, so this is going to be a sad one. Then the jazz music kicks in again. It's like, this is a hap- I don't know what this is. I mean, before we get super into this, can we can we just put pour out one for the animators that Goro murdered on this movie like his father? Because holy cow. The water, the ships, that ship's explosion, the mine they hit. The fact that they actually had the ship buckle out of the water and you watch the keel break. They they, they watched footage of actual ships exploding to draw that. There's no now, way. Now, Tech. Now, Tech. We've seen the behind the scenes of Spirited Away where they took that Audi and drove it over cobblestones to get the proper science. They blew up a World War II ship. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, the, oh not only dead animators. There's a crew of dead merchant mariners <laughs> somewhere that they they sacrificed like 60, 60 sailors. Yeah, yeah. What did you say, well, Jen? I said all for the sake of a Ghibli movie. Absolutely. You will be added to the roll call. <laughs> so I have I have a little bit here because... Well, Nutty's dad is a merchant uh, captain, and I grew up going on oil tankers. And when they take the the barge out to to the tanker, yeah, it was pretty darn accurate. Although I'm like, wow, that that's that's kind of fancy for a tanker. Like when I went out that way, I had to go up the rope ladder. Like lucky them. And you didn't get the stairs like they did. No, no, no. I got the rope ladder. Although they did have to. They did have the Indiana Jones jump to that thing, though. I mean, I had gangplanks when when we were when it was docked, but you know when it was out moored. Uh, Jason, you talk about dead animators. Just just the animators that died doing the little girl's braids, because as she walks and runs, they sway, they move, they they. 
man, there's some dude, there's some like poor Japanese dude with like shriveled hooks for hands, but permanently ruined with carpal tunnel from having to draw those braids. Or better yet, the downhill bike scene. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Into the marketplace where everyone is moving and walking and there's signage and there's the butchers cutting things up in the background. And I'm just like, I know that Miyazaki's standing over Goro's shoulder going, you better not mess this up, boy. Well, it's funny you say that. This was almost taken away from Goro. Bro, listen, you want to talk about pressure? Holy cow. So it was almost taken away from Goro. And then his dad painted an oil painting of uh, uh, Umi crossing a bridge to kind of signify to Goro that his characters didn't have enough personality and he needed to fix that. And he had three days to fix it. Good. When is it? Imagine if your parents communicated their displeasure with you through oil paintings. (laughs) Like, imagine waking up in the morning saying, oh, I got to study for that math test. Oh, there's a painting of me crossing a bridge into the land of sadness. Oh, I guess mom's disappointed with my English essay again. Oh, no. It's like, it's like the size, it's like a size of one of those antique dresser mirrors. It's like four by six. I love, I love the thing. It's like, you're not measuring up, son. So here, let me demonstrate my artistic prowess to help you realize your flaws. Like, oh. Here's the question. How long did it take him to make that oil painting? I, I like, don't know. I don't know. He's just <laughs> up smoking Japanese cigarettes all night, painting this thing. How many animators have you killed making this movie, son? Well, father, you see, I thought that never enough. The answer, never enough dead animators. And he's like, but father, if you've crippled legions, and he's like, I will cripple legions more. <laughs> it's like, it's like if Dune was just a Japanese animation studio at Ghibli and like Miyazaki's the emperor <laughs> and Goro's house of treaties. Oh God. Oh man. But no. Totoro's the sandworm. So the big the big story is that um Poppy Hill is where they live. Um it's about a young girl who m- meets this dashing boy at school and she's suddenly drawn to him. I and like- yeah, total meet cute. Huh. And and they have like this whole thing where they want to tear down the clubhouse and she helps them restore it. And she's running a boarding house. Her mom's nowhere to be seen, but she's raising her siblings. Her grandmother let her open a boarding house and, Oh, you're doing very well. Little high school student. You're, you're another month in the black. Good for you. And then as just as they start to really connect, he sees a picture of her dead father and realizes that's my dad. I was adopted. I was given this photo. And then later she finds out, no, 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 it was somebody else who's the father. It was actually, and by the way, I think what we're supposed to realize is that Shun is actually Korean because his dad was being repatriated or they were just bringing. No, they were on a repatriation ship. Oh, okay. Okay. I understand now. It's- um, And then, yeah, yeah. It was like, no, no, no. You, you were the other guys. And. <laughs> His whole family was killed in Nagasaki. So it's fine. You guys can talk. You know, I give this movie mad props because upon seeing the picture and realizing that they basically could be half brother and sister or just brother and sister, he's like, I got to cut this. I got to nip this in the bud. Like this can't, this can't go on. Like this can't happen. And I like Miyazaki Goro in this movie with the tutelage of his father does this relationship really going from innocently meeting, developing a friendship, kind of seeing how each other lives and helping the, each other out in a way like, you know, the reason why the down, we talked, I talked about the downhill bike ride is because he's helping her get to the butcher because her little techie brother will not go get the pork so he can eat because she's got to make dinner. And neither will the sister because Sukiyaki's being is, is yeah. on TV. The and- Jap- Japanese Johnny Carson's on and they're playing Sukiyaki. I'm not I'm not getting up from in front of the TV. I love that song. You're the one that wanted to open a boarding house. <laughs> Man, she- I'm feeling sad and blue. It's all because of you. You've gone away and now my life is just a rainy day. Those aren't the real words. The real words to the song are actually super duper sad and sappy. It's I look up in the rain so you can't see me cry. 
that's but you know what i think the original lyrics might be actually more fitting to this movie because there's a large stretch of this movie where he's like like once they figure out that they are related because the movie does a really good job of basically being like no they're related like jen was angry about this she was like you don't find out to the very end of the movie they're not well the, the the problem is is that one character finds out but for some reason they both seem to know it it, it, it it's um she finds out that they're related and then that they're kind of not related and then in the very next scene they're together on a boat and he knows too but they never gave the exposition as to how he figured it out it's just sort of like a, there's yeah, a little no 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 so um the chick's mom she went to her mom when her mom came back from america and told the mom what was and going brought, on with this and she brought little techie beef jerky yes yes she did he thought it was pork yeah. But she told the mom what was going on. And so the mom ended up meeting with the adopted dad and told him what was going on, who turned around, told Shun what was going on. When did that happen? Did we see that? Did I blink and miss that? That was in the cafeteria or the cafe. Oh, I think I might have missed it. We might have missed a scene. Okay. Okay. Because we're like, wait, I don't remember that. That's why the adopted dad told him that the guy that can tell you about your real father uh, is leaving on a boat right now. Yeah, right. Yeah. The the third the third man in the photograph. Yes. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you guys. Listen, I make this joke all the time, but up until this moment in the movie, Jen wasn't wringing her hands. She wasn't like, Ur. she almost snapped a controller and threw it through my TV because the whole time she's like, they bet not, they bet not be really <laughs> like. I was like, I can't, like, I don't know where this is going if they actually are related. Like, what are they pushing here? And I know, I know that, that, that I was, I was very skeptical about what's happening. The, the, the thing that gets me, there's that one scene. It's like, Shun is like, we are related. Therefore, we have to stop our relationship and we have to hide the feelings for each other. They must change. We can't do anything anymore. And they go, okay. And they turn and walk away from each other. It's like, what all have you done together? You haven't held hands. You haven't even smooched. You, you've barely talked to each other. I love him. I love him so much. Really? All you've done is stare at each other and do chores. Um, They're 14. Yeah. That's enough. But even then, that, okay. Right. Tech rant time. <laughs> My big problem with this movie is that these are 14-year-olds that do not act like any 14-year-old I have ever met. These are robots. Well, they show like they have like the the other kids are very emotional and you know they want to save their they want to save their um you know their clubhouse and you know there's lots of kids, you know, even her little sister is fun and excited and has emotions. And the two main characters show no emotion at any time of any kind, unless she's crying in her mother's lap. Well, for me, right. If you look at what those two have to do, like, because she's basically like running around as like the surrogate mother to so many in the boarding house. Like, I feel like she almost feels like her life has to be, she she has no time for herself. And he, because he's like this kind of, you know, patriotic, like I'm in charge of the newspaper. I've got to lead these debates. I've got to stop this terrible thing from happening and erasing our Japanese identity and our past. Like they both feel like they've got these grand purposes that do not align. So finding a kindred spirit who's willing to help you do these things is how they bond. And it's that like, they're basically like, 29 year olds in 14 year old bodies oh yeah yeah yeah. the two of them are are very very mature but you never see that facade really break i mean not even with each other um i i guess that was kind of a little bit of a letdown for me um the other problem is related to that is um a problem of math i mean this movie takes place in 1964 right they're getting ready for the tokyo olympics the Korean War yeah. ended in 1953, so that's 11 years prior. So she says that she's in year two, grade 10. So that would make her about 14, 15 years old. That photograph that she has of her family with her two younger siblings and her mother, does that look like a three-year-old to you? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I for me, I thought they were talking about World War II. 
Because well, they, they do mention they do mention multiple times it was the Korean War. The reason why I, I thought it was World War II is because when they talk about the old versus the new. About, yeah. About erasing the, the old Japan and forgetting. Like uh, Shun says, you know, we can't move into the future if we don't know about our past and where we came from. So I'm thinking this is like in that post-World War II, like reformation of Japan where America was like, mm, yeah. <laughs> and like, well, can't we do our thing? Yeah. You know, we we have this culture and these beliefs. Nah. And it's just I feel like that's what they're fighting against. But that could be the inconsistency with Goro's version of directing. Because remember, guys, we've also seen a previous Goro movie. Earth's Earthsea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but OK, so even so the thing is, they mentioned the Tokyo Olympics. They do mention 1964 multiple times. We know that's the year the movie takes place or it's close to. Right. Because there's actually a, a calendar that says uh, 63, but. Okay. So 63. So yeah. So they're getting ready for the Tokyo games. And that's the thing is they're trying to usher in this new era of Japan. They're trying to rejoin the modern world post the destruction of world war two um, had uh, her dad had her dad died in World War II in 1945, then that would make her 19 at least, probably closer to 21, which would be a little weird. So everything gets cleared up. They figure out that uh, um, they're not related, and yay, they can be together. Tachibana, I think, was his name. Um, As his was Shin's dad's name. Yes, I had it right here. Yes, Hiroshi Tachibana. Now. I love how this is following into one of those ancient movie tropes where like someone's parents die and they can just be given away. <laughs> like, like you could just, Oh, you're my best friend here. Take our other best friend's kid. Bye. Yeah, why not? Why not? They, they did. They did mention that, you know, there was the, the show of, I brought, you know, I brought the town registry papers and there's the other note that this was happening all the time. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of other Miyazaki films set in this era where if you weren't sick with radiation poisoning, you were sick with tuberculosis and a bunch of other illnesses as, you know, Japan is trying to scrape itself out of, you know, having the sun dropped on it twice. Uh, <laughs> there, There is, and I like both of the flashbacks where, um, so there is in the flashback that the mother's telling the story of, he comes home and he had already adopted the child. He was just like, I, I can't let this child be in an orphanage like all the others. So we get this idea that there's a lot of orphans right now. And she's like, but I got a baby on the way. Like, I'm pregnant. I can't do two. And they, you know, they remembered that there was somebody in town who had recently lost one. And I love the flashback from the from Shun's dad's perspective, because he's like, before, before I could even think your mom, she'd grabbed you, she was nursing you and it was over. And I, I love the dad because the earlier in the movie, when Shun brings it up and he's like, my real father, he goes, I'm your real father. I mean, I told you that because it's important, but like, I'm your dad. Like, don't ever forget that. And I just, I just thought that was so sweet. And then when he finds out, oh, it's not the guy I thought it was. I can get you information. I'm calling my kid at school, making him come down right away. Yeah. That was cool. Again, like the way they treat adoption as well as the finding out about his biological father, like they don't make it seem like a bad thing or that it's some sort of otherness to him. Like it's just a fact of life in that even if he's not his biological father, he's still his father. I like that a lot. And I again, I really like how the Miyazakis, and I'll, I'll have to start calling them that, <laughs> uh, do with the like the scenes between these two when they think they're related. Like it is gut wrenching. Like when they're standing at the train tracks, and she's like, "Look, I know you're trying to avoid all this, and I know we we can't do anything about the way we feel, but I love you." And he's like, "Ugh." He's like, oh God. He's yeah. like, well, he says, that's true. I love you too. You know, and it was him that was like trying to basically cut off the relationship in the first place. And he was trying to do it in an almost nice way, but she's so independent and so upfront. She was like, why are you mad at me? I don't understand what's going on right now. 
And like he had to tell her. And she's like, well, what do we do? And he says, act like we don't feel anything. And I, I love, I love how he's been trying to save her this heartache. And when he tells her, it hits. And the voice actress does a great job in the dub of being like, oh, you were trying to save me from this. Got it. Like, my bad. <laughs> I think, I think the most gut wrenching part for me was her dream. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah the dream. Oof. Because the entire time it's happening, I'm like, she's going to wake up in tears. Like, I've had those dreams, and it feels so real. And then you wake up, and you realize it's not real, and you're just sobbing. Uh, when the little sister goes to check on her, and she's just a lump under that giant quilt, it's like, are you okay? No. Okay. Closes the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, just, she just quietly backs out the room. Oh, can we talk about her older Evo painting sister? That's not a sister. That's oh, one of the borders. The border house lady. Can we just talk about her just being like, uh, I painted a picture, but when I paint at night, the colors are off. And she's like, but no, this is beautiful. And she's like, I guess. I'm like, next you're going to be like, I need to cut my ear off and send it to my love. Well, let's not forget, you know, she's like, sorry, it took me so long. I was getting my hair ready. She's like, it looks like hair. <laughs> she got some of the best lines. Like when she's cutting the potatoes and she's like, I'm jumping. It's like chop, 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 rice in 10 minutes. Chop, 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 chop. <laughs> Two things. Two uh, things. Yes. Like, don't forget to tell her to breathe. She'll forget. She'll pass out. But um, I think the voice actress, by the way, for her is perfect. That's Aubrey Plaza. No. Who always plays those kind of autistic characters? So, so two things. Uh, two things I noticed is uh, when we first get introduced to the clubhouse, which they call the Latin Quarter, which is this really cool sort of a building in a building. Uh, I, I had immediate vibes to the Walled City and Raid Redemption. <laughs> I and <laughs> now I really want to see a Miyazaki-made Raid Redemption-style movie in that building, but all with thirteen-year-olds. I mean, or Miyazaki's version of Battle Royale <laughs> in an apartment complex. You know, it's also a lot like the building that they used for, um, oh, um, uh, Kung Fu Hustle. Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah. Give me Miyazaki's Kung Fu Hustle. I will watch that any day. Also, thank you for knowing what I was talking about just when I did the Buddhist palm. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. Miyazaki is underrated for his action scene. He's very underrated. People talk about his scenery, his his aerial scenes, his backdrops, the attention to detail, but they do not give this man a bit of credit for his action scenes. Because let's be honest, Earthsea was kind of garbage, but the fight scenes were great. Nausicaa. Princess Mononoke. Yeah, Princess Mononoke and Nausicaa. He murdered a lot of dudes to paint some trees, but those fight scenes were great. Nausicaa. Her flight scenes on that glider going after the insects, like a mini Por- Porco Rosso, the dog fights. Oh my gosh. I, I will say this movie, by the way, uh, just barely ticked some of those boxes we're used to seeing. I guess the flags would count as flying. And I guess the cat carving counts for the cats. Right. There, there is one other thing I noticed. It's uh, in the, in the Latin quarter, they got the different clubs, right? They have that one big headed dude from the philosophy club. Yes, Ron Howard. Voiced by Ron Howard. But why does it look like Clint Howard? <laughs> I Did you guys notice the name of the ship that the third guy was on? Uh, was that the one named Ghibli? Yeah. Uh, by the way, apparently, and I didn't realize, apparently the 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 ship that we had noticed, it's, it's Maru something, Maru, mm-hmm. is a ship from Ponyo. Nice. So all, all Japanese merchant ships are named something Maru. Maru is the Japanese word for circle. It also right. means round or whole. Yeah. Kogenai Maru is the so ponyo. The idea is that from what I understand, from what I've read before, is that you name your ships circle because you want them to come back. Ah. So, so all Japanese merchant ships are named the something Maru, which is even in Star Trek lore, the ship that you rescue during your academy test is called the Kobayashi Maru. You know, I would love a ship named the Muta Maru because I like Muta. Muta's a great kid. But now I, I, I will say this. <clears throat> up till, up to this point in what we've watched, 
I think this is probably one of Miyazaki's best love stories, just for the simple fact that they go, they do a really good job of depicting daily life for the two of these people and how that their lives, like he doesn't force them together, right? Like they get together in a meet cute, like any rom-com and it develops from there. And I will also give it props to the fact that they don't have him wishy-washy with the whole asking her to go do things with him like you would in a normal like American rom-com like he straight up just like yo we can go do this thing but it has to be tomorrow but I do have a debate I'm going to you want to come to that yeah and it's 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 two people that you know it's a meet cute they like each other they want to spend time with each other and then it's the rest of it is them coming up with excuses to spend more time with each other and it's like I have all these chores to do. I have all these things to do. You have a thing. I'll go with you to your thing. And then it's, oh, I forgot the fish. You know, then she has to run because she's late because, and then the, the one scene I remember where he, she walks into the publishing room for the paper where he works and goes, oh, do you have anything else for me to do? Because I just really want to spend time with you. And he goes, uh, and he, he like rummages through papers. He's like, yeah, I guess you could translate these if you want, you know, just trying anything to spend time with each other. Yeah, because it's, it's, they're two 14 year olds who have no idea how dating works. <laughs> no, and I, I like that they're not pushing, you know, it, they're obviously romantic interests, but they're not pushing the romantic angle to it. It's not, it's it's just two people that are developing feelings for each other that want to spend time for with each other, and I really I really enjoyed that part. I, I you know there's a lot of there's a lot of things about this movie that that I enjoyed. The general theme or feeling of this movie is probably more traditional anime to me, like that that of teenage animes than anything else. I mean, like you just have this great feeling. And now I've discovered that it's based on a manga, an ongoing serialized manga. And it yep. makes sense. Mm-hmm. If I think back to the animes that I watched as a teenager, I have to say that I love this little girl a lot more than I like Minmay from Robotech. That's true. That's true. No. I think she and Rika would be friends, though, from Chinibio. Oh, definitely. Like, you know, and I, I, I also like the fact that, like, up until this point, Outside of Porco Rosso, these are the oldest Miyazaki characters that we've dealt with. Like they, like they, I, I think maybe the ones in um, the Cat Returns might be a same age bracket. Akiki was thirteen, so she's in the same bracket. Yeah, she yeah. was fourteen, right? Hmm? She was thirteen, fourteen, thirteen or fourteen, maybe. But but I but they carry a more mature air to them. Hmm. Yeah, like these kids don't feel out of place if you threw them in like a town from Porco Rosso. Yeah. In the same town where the young mechanic comes from. Yeah. I could see this story taking place there. So halfway through the movie, Tech says to me, uh, I forget what it was in response to, but he's like, I kind of feel like these are the Yamadas. (laughs) This was the, this was the meat cute of the Yamadas. <laughs> they go on to be the Yamadas, oh which I God. just thought was so cute. <laughs> it's the Ghibli verse. So the original manga takes place in the eighties, which is different. You know what? Sometimes the fact that Miyazaki wants to have a message or like a theme to his stuff ruins an idea for us. Because I would give good money to see this set in the eighties. Japanese big hair. Well, but I'll tell you, I, I I think I like it better. There's been a couple other. Apparently, there's a whole like mahjong subplot from the manga. We didn't need that. <laughs> what was the one where they have to go into the the one of the Ghibli movies we watched where he goes into the back alley to fight a bunch of like uh, to fight like a biker gang? Oh, is that the Yamadas? Yeah, because she's like, oh, you're not you're not man enough. Yeah, he's yeah. Gra- grandma fighting <laughs> bikers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, but Jason, the one vibe that I was, I was struck with in this is that this town, this poppy hill that we're in, is this the town from Nino Cooney? No, or Nino Cooney's town is the future of this town. Right. So Nino Cooney is a JRPG video game that originally came out for PS2. No, PS3. Three, PS3. Um, I'm playing it right now on the Switch. But all of the art and the direction of the story was done by Studio Ghibli. And he murdered a 
heck a heck of a lot of animators and game programmers because this game one it is fun it is hilarious and it is it's like watching imagine a studio ghibli movie that's a hundred hours long there you go you're playing you know kuni and the first one has a subplot of catching pokemon yeah with it i'm with studio ghibli being the animation studio for the new season of pokemon like i'm oh what's his name lord drippy <laughs> yes lord drippy he's 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 the the king of the fairies he's your companion he's like this little scottish dude with a lantern that hangs from his nose he's pretty cool but the my point is that the 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 town that this takes place in is poppy hill i mean it looks exactly like the animated world that they have created in this movie here poppy hill um can we also say that that uh you know ghibli started or like Ghibli and and uh uh um oh god what's his name Ka- uh, not the comic okay uh Osama Tezuka that's the guy uh who did Astro Boy they wanted to be like Disney and in and in uh and in uh Nino Kuni we have a Disney esque mother death oh yes Ooh, it's pretty rough so let let me know let me know when I can talk about flags so this is Yokohama or Yohama uh Harbor. So where Poppy Hill is, and I'm trying to find a map, but I, I mean, like, I think you're right about the whole Nino Kuni connection. Yeah, and it, it, it almost even feels like that time period because if you watch yeah. Nino Kuni, Nino Kuni feels like if you are not watch, but if you play Nino Kuni, the town that the main character is actually in, because part of the plot is that he's going back and forth between his reality and this fantasy world, and that his his reality feels so out of time because there's like these archaic cars like yeah they try very hard to make it ageless yeah and so i definitely think this could definitely be nino kun like this could have been like i wouldn't be bad at all like if the newspaper wrote a story about a mother who tragically drowned or died of uh you know pneumonia after she saved her son from his uh go drowning in it drowning in his go-kart even though it had a it had a six-cylinder engine what kid makes a six cylinder? All right, so back to Poppy Hill. Uh, yeah, okay. So um, while you're looking that up, I'm just going to rant on flags for a sec. Go ahead, please do. Uh, by the way, the map is not the. It's not an island or anything, but it's definitely Poppy. Like it's it's dead on accurate with what we saw in the movie. Oh, so so, so he's mur- he murdered more animators because he's oh yeah, the to make it photo real, to make it photorealistic. So the flag, the flags that she, the, the flags that she raises up on the flagpole every, every day she goes to remember her father and her father was lost at sea. So she raises signal flags and it's the letters uniform whiskey, UW. Now, if I look that up, what that means in the international database, a uniform, it means you're running into danger. Whiskey means I require medical assistance, but a lot of them, if you combine them together, they mean different things. So like two letters together means I cannot find in the international database what UW means, but Nutty, you said you found some people are saying that UW is. Um, it was, hang on. I just, it's like, I, I wish you a, a safe journey or something like that. Wishing safe journeys or something along those lines. Yeah. Right. But that wouldn't make sense. If you're signaling to your dead father so that he comes home, you don't want to wish him a safe journey. You want him to, so I, I don't know where that definition came from. I don't buy it. But when Shun is on the tugboat and he signals back, he adds a third flag. He adds a pennant at the top that's red and white striped. That means I acknowledge your message. And then he sends the message back. So it's like, uh, here it is. I pray for safe voyages. Right. So, which I mean, does, it could work. It does say in the movie, she says that she knows that her father's not coming back, that he is gone, but she still raises the flags to say, um, please circle and come home. Is right. how I, I believe how she put it. Like, but she, she says straight up that he's dead. She knows that she's dead, but she still can't stop herself from sending that message. And I think that ties into what you were talking about, Tech, where you say they, that everything is um, um, Maru, the circle, right? Mm-hmm. Like that you can have a good voyage. And, I, and I, I like those details, even if it's kind of gibberish and they kind of, you know, hand wave it for the movie. I like that a lot because, you know, if an American company made this movie, she would be in such harsh denial of her father's death. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Like she would be like, oh no, he's coming back. They never found his body. No, they never. But I get where this movie is like super detailed where you guys were talking about like the boat that um, gets blown up earlier, how like a boat and went back down. Like the details are super accurate. So I could understand how them putting certain flag combinations together and saying it's one thing, but not quite translating correctly i can see where that's frustrating so the so the other one uh the the other flag when when they're about to have that meeting of like the the clubs at her house yeah. and she raises another set of signal flags and it's h-o-k-u-t hokuto yeah so hokuto is um it's the constellation of the big dipper which in japanese is the plow yeah and and it's the the name of the character the doctor right who in the uh, manga is male and a veterinarian. I was going to say that Alaska has the Big Dipper on their flag. That's true. It's pretty cool. Alaska's got a cool uh, thing. Um, so when you combine semaphore, it does make new things, but... Oh, the, uh, sig- signal flags, not semaphore. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sig- semaphore is the one where you wave your arms back and forth. Oh, right. I always forget that. That's why. Don't they... So I... I- I'm re- I know that we have flag signals and Morse code in Ponyo, but I'm trying to remember if there's another Ghibli movie that has semaphore. Ah, uh, probably. I'm, I wouldn't. I don't know. Was although I and and Porco Rosso has a lot of it, uh, a, yeah. a lot of different signals. I also remember. I just love the angry uh, Morse code in Ponyo. <laughs> like, like I yeah. Love- um, I am finding on Second Life, UW means I wish you a pleasant voyage. Oh, nice. So, so you can buy it in Second Life. It's not a code I am familiar, and it's not showing up in any of these databases that I'm looking at. See, these are the questions that I would be asking if I could interview Miyazaki. Or the well, movie. we tried to interview our expert, but he's busy. Ah. <laughs> so... He decided that getting food was more important than talking to us because in our friend group is an actual naval communicator. So I wanted to, I wanted to ask him about these naval flags because it's his trade, but he decided that eating was more important than hanging out with us. So, Hey, I'm going to just say right now, if he does not have poutine that has pulled barbecue on it, then he's obviously not. Uh, okay. Uh, but um, I will say the dubbed cast for this. I want to know what happened because like everybody is in this movie. Did you guys, did you rewatch it recently um, for today's episode or? We literally watched it before we got on. Okay. That's great. Us too. Uh, do you know who's voicing Shun? Um, hold on. I was, I was actually just looking at this before. It's Anton Yelchin, young Chekhov from the JJ Abrams universe, Star Trek. Really? The one that got killed by his Toyota. Rip Anton Yelchin, rip. and he's so good. Like I love him as a voice actor. Yeah, Chris Noth is in this. Yeah, he's in the um, Bo Bridges is the the chairman. Um, uh, uh, Jeff Dunham plays somebody. Jamie Jamie Lee Curtis is her mom. Jillian Anderson is the doctor. I love that scene where they they're you know the chairman decides to save their clubhouse. And then the the third little boy goes up and he's like, Chairman, the, the other two couldn't be here to thank you personally because some some uh, uh, an emergency came up and they had to leave. And he's like, oh, an emergency. Oh, I remember those days. again. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just want to say, if there's ever a moment where, where little Jason is in this movie, it's the dude who's like, when he was, it's the same guy who addresses the chairman, but when he was talking to the girl and he was like, I really like the thing. And they're like, oh, and, she, and he starts blushing. goes, I'm no, no. I mean, literally the thing. I, I wasn't talking about you. I think they- <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he goes, oh, so beautiful. And she's like, really? And he's like, no, the, the plaster, the plaster is yeah. beautiful. Uh-huh. And then the other the other girl walks by just going, No, he no, he didn't. Bro, <laughs> there are so many people blowing up other people's spots in this movie. It is amazing. Like after they find out they're not related, his dad is like, Bro, get on this. What are you doing? Where she's like, here, when she goes to philosophy, dude, you know, when she goes to Opie, it's like, let me show you how to plaster this. Up, down, left, right, left, right. And then she throws in the spin. 
spin up. <laughs> oh, or when, or when she first goes to the clubhouse and those two nerds are outside ignoring them with the telescope and she goes, oh, yeah. and she's like, excuse me, I'm looking for the newspaper club. And they're like, Oh, it's up that way. And then Why you hear them girls? go, girls. Yeah, girls. <laughs> and I love how, you know, if you cleaned it up a place, if you cleaned up the place, girls would come and then the boys would like it more. <laughs> and I love how when, uh, she, when they knock on the door, his buddy goes, Hey man, uh, two potential of your groupies are outside. I'm like, does everybody want to hook this man up? Like. What's funny is that it was in in the English dub. They dubbed it as groupies, but in the translated subtitles, it was uh, there's two VIPs outside. Yeah, two VIPs. <laughs> oh, I think groupies works better. Like, yeah. even though I think it's rude, I definitely like it better because you see later on that girls really like this guy. Like, well, yeah, Shun's like super popular, dude. Also, Shun has Shun needs to be running track. Did you see how he hurdled those those chairs in that debate? Oh, I he mean, he he he's he's the guy, right? He's the guy that stands on tables and and yells really important speeches. You know, he's got main character energy, and he's got a sixty pound bicycle made out of like recycled submarines that he bikes uphill every day. I mean, that dude's got yeah. He should run track. He's got quads the size of my waist, mm-hmm. and I love how he he tells her he's like. Oh, you need to go to the butcher? I got you. I'll give you a ride down to ride down the hill. And she goes, but your hand. He's like, ah, I can break with this with no problem. And he handles that thing like his name, like he was in the Tour de France. Like he's just handling that thing. I'm like, come on, Shun. Like, are you bad at anything? Oh, communication. That's what you're yeah, bad at. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that guy had a son named Takeda who 20 years later joined a biker gang in Neo Tokyo in a film called Akira. He had to fight his best friend to the death with a space laser. <laughs> Still the death no, I, I, I really, I dig this one actually. Um, now I do want to mention because we did talk about some of the struggles between Hayo and his son Goro that there's a documentary that NHK made. And I'm getting the title for you right now. Uh, the documentary is titled Poppy Hill, 300 Days of War Between Father and Son. I need to watch this because I definitely thought this was the um, Studio Ghibli movie or documentary where it talks about like how Miyazaki like, goes through his process and like his home life and how he like watches his kids for for evidence of like how he makes his movies. I need to watch this documentary because... I'm pretty sure by the end of it, Juro might have been almost killed. I mean, it, it, yeah. So, so, you know, dad wrote it, son's directing it, son, you're doing it wrong. Bro, he, I don't know, like, I don't know how to feel about that relationship because on one side, I absolutely 100% understand the pressures of legacy. Like, as a guy who grew up in a family who had a successful restaurant and his family cooks like a dream and to have people look at me and be like, you can cook like them too, right? You can make those rolls, right? <laughs> no, you can't. Oh, I can't. So I get it. But at the same time, to get put on by your dad, who at this point can make whatever he wants. He could be like, I'm going to take a poop on celluloid and tell him it's art. And they're going to be like, amazing, Miyazaki, just amazing. Like, you kind of have to like, you kind of have to take that one. You got to own that. Like, Where Jason has to come to grips with the fact that he is not the best cook in the country or the city. Heck, he's not even the best cook in that room. Yeah, no. like, I'm like Ringo. I'm not the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> that's the most savage line I've ever heard. Like, I know that's off topic completely, but when that dude is like, he's not even the best drummer of the band. Yes, bro. It is. That is savage. Like, Oh my God. Like that's fighting words. Like you got to punch that man. <laughs> With all of that, they produced a really good movie. And Goro got animation of the year from the Tokyo Anime Awards. That's because uh, Miyazaki threatened to let Takahata out of his box. <laughs> and, and I will like, make all of you cry. 
And yeah, and Takahata's like, I got ideas. They're like, keep him in there. Please no. Please no. And then he's like, I did Princess Kaguya. And best animated film for the awards of the Japanese Academy. So best movie by both of those seems pretty important. I mean, like, to be fair, this is Goro's best. Even if it was his father looking over his shoulder going, I know you pro- I should prop like you need your growing pains, but not on this one. We'll let you get Earthsea. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, he already bungled Earthsea at this point. Exactly, yeah. right? Like he already did that one. But I you know, I I enjoyed this. I thought it was good. And I think that is going to bring us to our ratings unless there's something else anybody wants to bring up. Uh, by the way, uh, his best friend totally flirting with the little sister throughout the entire movie. Y'all yeah. notice that? Bro, he's, listen, so many people trying to get it in in this movie. <laughs> like, so many people. With, with or without their own personal consent. Like, some people, again, some people just get their, their spot blown up. Like, because, again, he's like this. I love it when the movie ends up having those two meet several times at the clubhouse after he realizes they potentially could be brother and sister. And so he's trying to play it down. And when she comes in and talks to everybody and he's like, right, got it. Mm-hmm. And he goes back to what he's doing. His two friends look at him so harshly. They're just like, bro, what happened? We thought this was working. What happened? And you can see it in their face. It's one of the best parts about Ghibli is the emotion on these guys' faces when they realize something has happened between the two of them. Look, his friend followed him all the way into the bathroom to get the gossip. (laughs) It's also kudos to this movie for not having it be two girls gossiping like like hens. It's literally the boys. Also, don't talk at the urinal. That's just... (laughs) Right. Don't talk it. Don't talk at the urinal. That's that, that crosses even best friends, even with the hottest of hot goss. Wait till you're washing your freaking hands. I mean, come on, guys. It's 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 the same type of rule that if you walk into like a club, you're in the club bathroom or something and there's four urinals, you skip one. You <laughs> yeah. Directly to somebody. You don't slide up to the guy next to you. And say, hey, Holmes. Nice watch. It rem- oh god, it's Hawkeye when he's like, "Hey man, can I get an autograph?" And he's literally at the urinal, like, "No." Okay, but like I have heard, can you give me a minute. <laughs> so many actors talk about how that has actually happened to them. I think it was made most famous by William Shatner in one of his books. But yeah, like they, they will follow you to the bathroom. Um, so Tech, what would you rate this? I've been thinking about this. So I don't like the. I don't like the way that the the kids acted because even though they were very mature and they were acting like adults and they had adult jobs, they didn't really seem like kids except for that one scene where the young lady broke down uh, with her mother and had, you know, legitimate big wet blubbery tears because she could finally let herself be a little kid because she was with her mom. Uh, Other than that, uh, the soundtrack was awesome. The animation was scores of dead animators uh, as usual, but um one of the big letdowns for me is that yet again, it's a Miyazaki movie that just stops. It doesn't end. It stops. And at the end of it, we basically go full circle and nothing really changes. Like the, yeah, Maru, like we, we have a circle, but like th- their relationship hasn't really d- developed to another stage. Her dad didn't come back. There's no ghosts or zombies. The, 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 the clubhouse is still operating like it was at the beginning. I mean, other than giving their school a spit shine and taking a trip to Tokyo, not that much happened. So I really enjoyed this. I had a lot of fun. Uh, the soundtrack, I'm still, I'm still, I've got the song in a, in a loop in the back. I'm, yeah, it's in there for good. Before you get reading, I'll, I'll ask you, would it have been a better ending if they kissed? And I, and I mean, like, not like, like, not a like, passionate we're about to have melrose 210 uh 90210 uh teen um smexy time but like 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 either a kiss on the cheek or just a soft peck on the lips like to kind of like seal the deal that they can be together now i think just that i i I think so if done properly but to me i think just them walking home from school holding hands would have been i agree with that because 
they just came off of him knowing for at least a, or thinking for at least a week, if not two, that they're related, that that was just too much too soon if they were sitting there kissing right after. Right. But just, just, uh, you know, uh, just a little nod to us that, Hey, okay. You know, they're in a relationship now, just a whole, a holding of the hands or even just like a hand on the shoulder, just like a, a brief moment of very chaste intimacy. Instead of them talking about what are you going to do next year? Yeah. Also when you're gone. Also, I just want to say little Jason, uh, dating advice. One of the things that he does for her in this is he buys her food. Yep. And you know girl. what? That won her over. She was like, hey, this is actually pretty good. I just want to say, food over flowers. Just saying. Uh, yes. Every time. Every time. Can, can, can I get an agreement here? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Text like, I'm sorry, I'm eating Choco Nabe right now. By the way, uh, in our relationship, flowers have never been a thing because it's here. I killed things for you, but full plants. That's okay. <laughs> I have murdered. I have murdered plants for you. These show my affections. Why? <laughs> so what you got? Yeah. What's your rating? This is a five out of ten. Five out of ten. Five out of ten. What? Five out of ten downhill bike rides. Jen. So this one actually gave me some feels, like major feels. Oh, did it? Shut up. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to give this one an eight out of ten. Um, step up out the water and throw you back in. <laughs> Nutty says as she's typing into her spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> By the way, for, know, the folks, long. for the folks out there in podcast land, you guys just do not know the in-house love of spreadsheets that these two have. Nutty <laughs> love a good spreadsheet. It's a very basic spreadsheet and there's a link to it in the show notes. It tells you what our next movie is and every and everything we've ever done um jason what what do you want to rate it for me because we have yet to watch the best i have to give this a seven out of ten come on mans because of how his friends look at him in that scene (laughs) when when they realize something has happened between him and her and they're just like but I, i thought this was Come on, man. It's, so it's, it's I love that look. I love this movie. I agree. It gave me feels. It definitely gave me feels. I think the saddest part for me was her dream, though, because I was dreading her waking up. Like that was just killing me. Um, I like the strong female relationships that are in this movie. I like that there's not none of the cattiness. Like even her sister, who's like, Yeah, sorry, I'm late. I had to get my hair perfect. Um, and there's no like tropish women tearing each other down nonsense. Um, and it didn't mean that she was superficial. Like she was a good sister and everything. Um, and it gives me the kind of feels that I got from Whisper of the Heart. And while I don't think it's an exceptional, the feels make it exceptional for me. So I'm going to give that a seven out of 10 fried mackerel. <laughs> Because dang, that looked good. Oh, can we talk about the food in this? Dude, the macro looked like just giant fried prawns. I, yeah, I it looks so good. When we finish the Ghibli cast, like when we've covered all of Ghibli's films, we're just gonna do a separate podcast about how freaking delicious. Oh, we're gonna have to do like uh Ghibli cast makes Ghibli oh my food. God, like like in How's Moving Castle, the bacon alone. Just slabs of pork belly beans. I mean, it's almost tattoo worthy, but yes. So, like, honestly, I'm looking at you, George R. R. Martin. You could take less. I think he has. I think he has. (laughs) Um, Giant Ghibli collection on his wall. You know that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, So that gives us collectively, as a podcast, a six point eight out of ten for this movie. So we're we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Um, and you know what's next? Hey, Tech, do you know what's next? Yep, it's The Wind Rises, where you guys get to watch me ball like a child. That's right. Oh, it is. Ah, thank Yes! Yes! I'm so excited. So if we're going happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad, was this a happy or a sad? Well, Ariadne was a happy. Right. So this was a sad. So the wind rises is a happy, right? Right. Yeah. The, I, I'll t- I, 
I I'll take it as a happy. How about you? No opinion. <laughs> right. That's about I, airplane. And and I will give the listeners a little bit of a hint from me. The wind rises. If if Stephen King should have retired from writing after he wrote Under the Dome, in my opinion, this is that movie for me. Like it it's such perfection, or all right, dude, you're done. <laughs> it is the wind rises from the from the subject matter, the way it's delivered, the art. And the story is so Miyazaki from just literally him as a person as well as a creator. So you're saying it's his opus? Absolutely. And I will, I, I have a lot to say about it when we do cover it because of how much it means to him as a person, as a, just as a person. Which is funny that you say that's under the dome for Stephen King because wasn't that the Dark Tower? See, for me, the Dark Tower. No, but I mean for Stephen King. Yeah, I think he feels that that was his magnum opus, but I, I at one point thought he should have retired when he completed the Dark Tower. But after reading Under the Dome and seeing that he kind of returned to form and got greatness out of that, even because it was a Bachman book, that he should have retired after that. Because a lot of some of his best stuff is a Bachman thing. And that is him, by calling it a Bachman book, that's him saying he doesn't believe in it. But like having a story that you can believe in and does well, you sh- you should you're good because i i don't think he thought the dark tower series was going to be big. well he says in the forward like i'm not writing this for you i'm writing this for me yeah he, which yeah, is wild um so that was that was from up on poppy hill if you've seen it let us know what you think if you listen to this and you haven't seen it you're still gonna enjoy it like there's no epic spoilers you know uh you're gonna enjoy it wh- knowing the end or not so go give it a a, a watch and then come back and watch The Wind Rises with us. If you're in Canada, it's all on Netflix. And, and if you're in the States, HBO Max. HBO Max. There you go. Even that terrible earwig of the earwig with of the, and the wind. What about that? Okay, but we're not doing that. Good. <laughs> well, I mean, we're not doing that right now. We're saying goodbye. Uh, Is there anything you wanted to add there, Tech? It looks like you had something. No, just that the the wind rises. The next one coming up is apparently the story of the development of the. Uh, it's the story of the man who developed the the fighter uh, airplane used by Japan during World War II called the Mitsubishi Zero, uh, and uh, him coming to grips with what he hath created. Um, I can't wait to see it because as a plane nerd, I mean. Nope. I've been drawing zeros since no I was a kid. No. no, no, no. What I'm, what I'm saying is no one who's listening, research Miyazaki. Please do not read. Like, I want everyone listening to this to go into this cold. So, oh, yes. So when I talk about Miyazaki in the next episode, you get that realization. Because that's it. That's it. You don't. You can give your explanation and your answers later. So thank you for joining us. You can always find us at nimlas.org and you can find Jen and Jason on their own podcast sometimes. I don't know. But what's that website? It, it's There's a lot going on. Yeah, it's, it's I understand. I'm not streaming that much either. Yeah, it's Talk Nerdy to Me podcast. You may not find super new stuff from us, but there's a, there's a lot. Like, I realized a lot of old stuff. Yeah, I crossed almost, I think I crossed 400 episodes at some point. I didn't realize it. Because you separate everything. You, everything's got a different title. You don't know what's what. Yeah, man. It's, it's a lot, guys. <laughs> so let us know what you think of these Ghibli movies, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. And we want to thank our patrons without whom we would not be able to give you two episodes a month and um, pay server fees and all the good stuff that we do. So thank you so much to our top tier big daddy jacks and to our other big daddies, uh, Jason and Rich the TT. Thank you to the patrons of the arts, Andy, Luke, Mark Cabot, the encaffeinated one, Melissa, the bathtub mermaid, Poltergeist. The Radical Geek and Susanna. Wait, I thought Susan was in there too. Hmm. And thank you also to uh, Cliff, uh, sorry, Uncle Monster, uh, Grig, Harold, 
Hugh, Ian, Justine, Ken, Kinsey, Mike, Patrick, Shane, Steve, Tibby, Will, and Zachman. You keep this going. You keep things running and you keep everything going. So thank you so much to all of you. You all rock. Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42. 